Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this special edition of We Gotta Talk. I'm so excited about today's guest. She is a Yale-educated, board-certified, and world-renowned New York City-based plastic surgeon whose motto is beauty is in the details. She has a very understated approach to facial and body plastic surgery, and it has earned her fans the world over. You probably follow her on Instagram, where she has uh, over 750,000 followers and growing. She's a medical expert for ABC News. She's appeared in countless media stories as an aesthetics expert, and she is also the mother of six young children, which leaves me in total awe of you, Dr. Lara Devgan. Thank you so much for joining us today on We Gotta Talk. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm having a fangirl moment because I followed you for quite some time and I remain very impressed by, I hate this word balance because it doesn't exist in motherhood, but I am so impressed by what you're able to do professionally, personally. It's really cool to kind of watch you from the other end of the screen. You must be exhausted all the time. (laughs) That is so sweet of you. I really appreciate it. Um, Well, I am impressed with you also. I know I feel like we're all always balancing everything. It's crazy. How old are your kids at the moment? Not to like go too personal, but I just, I'm curious how you like get out of bed. Um, They are ranging from three to 10. Okay. So how does that look or how did that look? You're obviously at the apex of your career right now. And we're going to get into everything as far as plastic surgery trends, aesthetic trends, um, some of your favorite procedures to perform and things like that. But from the personal side of things, I'm just curious how how it's been with the 10 year old being your, your oldest explaining to them what you do, how long you're away from home. Like what, give some advice to moms out there who I know I struggled for a long time in sort of balancing those two aspects of my life. But what advice do you have for other moms out there? Yeah, it's always a big challenge. Um, you know, kids are amazing. And the, I think one of my favorite things about having kids is the opportunity to, in some ways live my life all over again. It's been really fun to just see things fresh and um, have have the opportunity to see life again through these bright young little eyes. And um, I try to talk to my kids about their lives and my life and I try to be honest with them about as much as I can be in a level appropriate way. And, um, you know, they know what I do. I've, I I think I've, um, I think I've done stitches on almost all of my kids. Oh my gosh. That's one benefit to having a doctor mom, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. When you have six kids, like you're definitely going to be repairing facial Uh, lacerations. So uh, I have, I've definitely put stitches on the faces of, uh, five out of six of my kids. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. Uh, so, so they know what I do. They think, I think they think I'm a professional boo-boo repair woman. <laughs> you are for those of us who have boo-boos we've gotten through life, Dr. Devgan. Um, I, you just got out of surgery too, by the way, right? So you're, you're on the end, a tail end guys were taping this at like a little after 7 PM. So you're coming off of a, 
a whole day of work too. Tell us a little bit about what you did today. Yes, I made the scrubs with no makeup. I had a chance to put on a little lip plump just so I could look as cute as you do. Cause I your skin is glowing. Listen, <laughs> if people aren't watching this, you'll see the social clips. Like it, there is a luminescence to you, Dr. Devgan. So do not undersell yourself, please, which is a testament to your products. I'm sure. But yes, that's the, like the nicest way you've ever described, like being a little bit frazzled and sweaty, but but I will take that any day. Your sweat is gleaming. <laughs> so much. Um, but yes, um, hashtag my skincare line, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> yes, today I was in the operating room all day and doing um, procedures. Um, I did um, eyelid surgery, facelift, neck lift, a bunch of revision cases. I did some non-surgical facial optimizations. I did, you know, my practice is a mix of surgical and non-surgical procedures. And um, uh, I love everything, face, breast, and body procedures. I really gravitate toward anything that involves tiny little meticulous, minuscule details. And I don't know why, but that's like, my personality and I like little beautiful millimeter level details and that's what I did all day today and every day and that's what I just finished doing I love it like I said you your your motto or at least the one on the website is beauty is in the details you see yeah. it all over your social it makes so much sense and that's my personal preference oh I'm a huge fan of I shouldn't say huge fan but I'm a huge proponent we talk about this quite a lot on the podcast of uh, people doing whatever it is that makes them feel good. If you're coming from a, a stable mental state and you're approaching this um, with a ton of research and the right mindset, I think what you do is so, um, it's beautiful in a way, helping people feel better about themselves. Tell us about how you landed on that approach and this style you have that's really distinguished you from maybe other um, people in the field whose approach might be a little, um, let's say, uh, more grandiose. <laughs> It's so funny to say that. Um, when I was coming of age as a plastic surgeon, I had the privilege of learning from some of the most amazing, talented people in this field. And, um, you know, one of the most wonderful things about medicine is that in medicine, you learn by, there's an expression, you learn by standing on the shoulders of giants. And medicine and science happens over generations and you really are nowhere without all of the people who've helped along the way like you know there's no one person who's responsible for progress it's really everybody and it's this huge generation-wide collective effort and um so i feel like everything about me and everything that i know is the culmination of every little fact and um, statement and learning and textbook and drawing and diagram and dissection surgery that I observed you know it, it's every little thing for years and years and decades over time from all of these really incredible smart mentors and people who I've been fortunate to learn from um, but I remember thinking when I was coming of age as a plastic surgeon that some of the some of the things that I saw felt a little bit heavy-handed to me. And I wondered when I saw results like that, if I was the only one thinking that. And I remember thinking, 
gosh, when I'm that age, you know, at this time I was in my twenties and so I was young and, you know, when you're at that age, you don't really like you're, you have the magic of youth, so you don't really need anything. Um, but I remember thinking, gosh, when I'm older, I wonder if I'm going to want that. I don't think I'm going to want that. And I never said anything like that out loud. And I was wondering privately if there was a case of the emperor's new clothes going on, that if I was the only one who thought that those thoughts and feelings, or if other people thought that too. And when I started my practice, I just thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just do what I think is elegant and understated. And I'm going to, do excellent high quality work and I'm going to take care of each patient as if that patient is my mother and I'm going to do for each patient what I would do if that if this person in front of me is literally my mom Mm. and I'll like literally go the distance for each person and that that became kind of my litmus test for if I wasn't sure what to do, like, what would I do if it were me, if it were my mom, my sister, my dad, like, what would I do? And that became kind of like my guiding principle, like in terms of the aesthetics, but also in terms of some of the complicated decision making. So like, well, do I give the antibiotic to this person or do I not give the antibiotic? Do I, do I bring in the patient right now or do I wait until the morning or do I wake up in the middle of the night and see the person or do I just like do I see them next week and should I take out the stitches or do I leave them in and I would just think like okay if it were my mom what would I do and making decisions in that way helped me refine my practice and achieve really detailed and simple but elegant outcomes for one patient at a time. And it started really slowly, um, but, you know, one at a time and then many, many at a time. And mm-hmm. that's how I started. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really, you know, I know, like we said, people have different desires going into some of these procedures and you always hear the LA, New York sort of paradigm, right? Like the girls in LA generally look a certain way or want to look a certain way. I know this is stereotypical, but, but generally speaking, right. You can predict um, based on where people live, some of the things they might be asking for, whether it's breast size or the, the, the facial things that are a little bit different. But um, when you look at your page and I, I, this is the biggest compliment. It looks like the after pictures, you can't even tell any work was done. It's just a, a sense of these patients being refreshed and somehow looking younger, which to me is, is the best kind of work. So I think it's great. And I'm going to be booking my facelift with you in another, <laughs> in another 15 years. So don't retire before then. Um, what are some of the more popular procedures, Dr. Devgan, that you're seeing people ask for these days? Gosh, I think that, um, you know, what is really popular right now is um, facelifts and necklifts at younger ages. I think that patients are seeking procedures just before they urgently need them. And I think this idea of wanting to maintain a long corridor of youth and look basically the same for the entire period of time between like age 25 to 60. That idea is 
trending right now. And when okay, wait, what do you personally think of that? Like, it, what does Laura the person think of? Like, is does it weird you out to see people like freeze in time essentially and have the same face? Is is it like a hallmark of great work? And you're like, oh, this is awesome. Or are you kind of like, okay, this is a little bit weird too because no one is aging these days. No, I mean, I think when it's done well in an elegant manner, I think it's amazing. Um, I think, um, I think there is beauty in aging, and I never try to eliminate signs of aging in my patients. And I actually think that in what I do, I think identity is more important, and I think that identity is more important than youth. So I never try to literally stop the clock, but I do appreciate this idea. And, you know, maybe it's my own mortality that's speaking here, but I do appreciate the idea that, um, that, you know, I don't want to get old either. (laughs) Um, and I, I feel like I feel better and look better than I did when I was 25. And, um, I, I want to age backward. I want to live forever. I want to be around when my grandchildren have children. Um, And so I get that people want to have that forever young feeling. But at the same time, I don't want to be someone who is enabling people, you know, filling in every wrinkle and crap and, you know, eliminating every perfection and kind of perseverating on all their flaws and picking apart their own faces. And so I I think that there's, um, there's a healthy balance where we want to all feel good about ourselves. um, But we have to do it in a way that makes sense. Do you see my photo bomber for people just my daughter has decided to walk into the frame? Can you go with daddy, please? please Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Um, the early facelift. Okay. So when you say people are seeking this out, is there a general time frame? I know everybody ages differently, but maybe people are coming in, say in their what early forties versus when they used to come in in their fifties. Like what, if you had to put a number on it? Yeah, I would say, um, facelifts in their forties for sure. Yeah. Do you think, is that a good idea or is there the potential for that to like become lax again? And then you have to do it again. When we do a surgical procedure, we're turning back the clock, but we're not stopping it from ticking. And so we're resetting the pace at which you age. And so Mm. you think about yourself and your lifestyle. And if you're going to get really great quality adjusted life years from your 40s, and that's a decade that you're going to really enjoy going on family vacations and being on the beach and like really get a lot out of your life, then it can make a lot of sense. And you might really enjoy that more than the decade that comes from your sixties or your seventies. And so it's a really personal question. I think there's no wrong answer. The main couple of reasons in my practice, why patients consider procedures, smaller procedures at earlier ages are um, fourfold. First of all, if you do a surgical procedure at an earlier age, you have a better healing propensity. Second of all, you're going to have a shorter scar. Um, Mm -hmm. Third, you're going to have a less dramatic before and after. And um, fourth, you're likely to have a faster overall recovery time. And so those are typically the reasons why people consider procedures earlier. And I would say kind of a fifth reason is that quality adjusted life years reason, um, which is like sometimes people will argue that, you know, maybe they're going to enjoy their 
40s decade, they're going to be a little more active than maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they're going to be on more like active vacations than they would be in their 70s decade. But I don't I don't really know. But I hear people say stuff like that. The flip side of the coin, you know, why you might consider waiting till your 60s or your 70s for for your face and neck lift is that you know, first of all, economics. Um, if you think that maybe you only want to have one face or neck lift in your life, um, sometimes people will say, I only want to do this once. So I'm going to mm-hmm. wait for a big landmark birthday and I'm going to do this when I turn 65 so that it lasts. Um, second, sometimes people say, listen, I'm going to do this once. So I want it to be a big dramatic before and after because I want to tell all my friends. I want to have that huge turkey neck and then I want it to go away. And I want there to be a payoff. I don't want it to be a subtle result. So it's the exact opposite reason. Um, and then third, um, sometimes people are just not sure. And so they defer the decision till later. So yeah. those are kind of the two arguments. And I think, you know, it's sort of like, any big life decision like are you going to get married are you going to have kids what will your job be it's a very personal decision and on some level you have to just make it for yourself right right um i'm curious if you've seen uh this reflected in people's sort of sense of self-confidence or the types of procedures they're requesting if if the filter culture as it were is impacting people's ability to sort of accept a real face? Like, are you hearing and feeling any of that coming from your patients where they're expecting that perfection that we see so often on social media? Oh, absolutely. I think people don't even know what normal looks like anymore. It's It's crazy. crazy. And I worry about, you know, our children's generation deeply. Like, you know, I, I think it's absolutely worrisome that people, um, you know, we all are bombarded with so many images of filtered, photoshopped, facetuned photos. And even in the era of deep fakes, like we don't even know what real videos are anymore. It's terrifying. It's truly terrifying. It's it's hard to understand what our own faces are. Um, It's really like kind of upsetting. When people see real skin, they feel upset and confused about it. Like I have, one of my most frequently asked questions is how people can eliminate their pores. And I mean, maybe it's because I'm a physician and scientist, but it truly blows my mind where I'm like, what do you mean eliminate your pores? Those are your (laughs) channels. Like they're literally like channels in your largest organ in your body. You can't eliminate them. That's how you, your skin communicates with the outside world. But, you know, people are so used to seeing this like milky beige colored, like blurred out, filtered, unicolor thing, mm-hmm. on social media that they don't, you know, we, we no longer understand that, that you're allowed to have imperfections. And the concept of perfect skin has totally replaced the concept of healthy skin that, um, I don't know, it, I, I worry. Do you try to like show up on social media with no filters for that reason? I know um, lots of people who make an attempt to sort of avoid that filter. Is that something you do as well on your personal page? Yeah, sometimes I do that. I mean, um, I think, I guess it depends on my mood. I mean, sometimes yeah. I'm a human, like you know, 
Right now you're seeing me with no filter. Um, yeah, I swear no, I'm not just, your skin is good. Uh, like, yeah, your skin like, is good. I'm only human. Sometimes I feel right. like a little less than gorgeous. Um, and, uh, and so sometimes I'll use um, a, uh, actually the filter that I'm most likely to use most often is the one that I, um, that I invented, which is, uh, my facial optimization filter, uh, oh, cool. which, uh, which, which, I, which I made just for fun. Actually, I made it as an academic exercise um, when I was uh, researching the impact of facial filters. Um, I, I actually tried to make a filter to mimic a little bit of what I do in my medical practice with the concept, my concept that I developed of facial optimization. And as you probably know from following me, one of my, you know, great academic joys is trying to come up with this idea of how to enhance someone's own identity and beauty while preserving the feeling of the natural character of their face. Like, how do we keep you looking like you, but the most attractive version of you. And um, really, when I do that, what I'm trying to do is look at each person and every face has beautiful characteristics. And how do we identify those beautiful characteristics and help them come to the forefront and then minimize some of the imperfections and you know, sort of draw out the bone structure, enhance the symmetry, minimize some of the imperfections and balance some of the proportions. And so, um, I did a really cool project with um, one of my um, medical assistants who is a pre-med student. And um, this was one of her main projects with me. And we worked together to, um, with Instagram to make, um, Instagram slash Facebook slash Meta to make a, um, a filter, which you can use on Instagram and Facebook if you want to. So try it out. Um, there are a few of them. One is called Facial Optimization. One is called Optimization Sans. And one is called um, uh, Zeitgeist. And, um, and they're all versions of facial optimization. And so we could see what we would look like if we were actually one of your patients. Yeah, so you can kind of see. And also they're fun. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, try them out. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's dig into um, some specific procedures because I know there are going to be people who want um, information so we can kind of move through these quickly. We don't have to do too much of a deep dive on each one, but um, let's start with, let's kind of go face down. I, I feel like we don't really need to cover Botox. People know what it is. It's like as common as water these days. Um, but what is your preferred filler and why? And does it depend on the, the area of the face where you're using it? Yes. I think like, you know, there's so many great fillers. I really tend to prefer um, highly cross-linked hyaluronic acid-based fillers. I would basically just say that for the face, um, you want to use a dissolvable hyaluronic acid-based filler. I don't prefer fillers that are not dissolvable for the face. And I also don't prefer um, poly-L lactic acid fillers for the face. Wait, um, pause. I got Sculpture under here. Do you think that's bad? <laughs> Your face is showing some concern. I mean, massive hollowing, Dr. Devgan. And for people who aren't watching, I mean, just on point, like the, the area from the inner corner of my eye, it's just a genetic, it's an Italian dark circle situation and a hollowing. Was that a total mistake? 
No, I think it's, you're so beautiful and you don't need anything. Well, I, I always say to my husband, I look like I don't need it because I get it. <laughs> he said, another appointment. I said, listen, the reason you don't think I need it is because I get it. But I, I that kind of made me nervous for a second because Sculptra is that um, a lactic acid, right? It kind of stimulates your own production. Listen, I love Sculptra for body and buttocks and like smoothing and all of that stuff. I don't prefer it for the face for a few reasons. First of all, it's not dissolvable. Um, second of all, it's not completely predictable. So in some people, it will continue to bloom and bloom and grow and grow. And in some people, it will stop. Wait, are you serious? So it could just, because it's stimulating the natural production of collagen. So it just, you've seen people's faces or whatever to continue yeah, to grow. You can't turn it off. Like you don't exactly know when it's I'm terrified off. right now. Um, so like, it's not, you don't 100% have control over when it's going to stop. Um, so that's not my favorite. I'm like a real control person <laughs> i like to really know stuff about about that yeah um, okay this is then, making total um, sense and then also it's just a little bit non-specific for my taste for the face mm -hmm. because sculpture is really beautiful like the best thing about sculpture is that it gives you like a nice watercolor wash it's like a nice soft wash and so that's so pretty for broad areas, like, mm -hmm. you know, like the decollete or the buttocks or the hips, like where you just want something that's smooth. And But like for the face, it can be beautiful to have a little topography, like you want a little like structure and you want mountains and valleys and like you want a little softness, but you want a little contour also. Mm -hmm. And so... I just think that there are slightly more predictable options that that don't necessarily just give you the broad non-specificity. So I think for the face, there are many great options and fillers are like paint brushes and paints and you wanna have a palette that has a lot of paints and paint brushes. Mm -hmm. So depending on the need, you're, so depending judging, you're on kind the of looking at everyone. The person, there's, there's nothing that is right. a wrong option, but you want to be able to do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like going, you know, it's like going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. There are so many amazing artists and there are so many amazing paintings and there's no one best artist at the Met, right? There's a there's a there's a gallery for Picasso. There's a gallery for Monet. There's a gallery for Van Gogh. They all belong there, and they all use different media and they all use different brushes, canvases, paints, paint brushes. You know, there there's a role for everything. Mm. You can make amazing art with a lot of amazing different products, but there are better ways to use different products and. You know, just because I'm saying something, it doesn't make it gospel. There are a lot of brilliant, intelligent people who disagree about topics passionately. Mm -hmm. Just telling you what I think. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm here for more of it. Okay, let's speaking of um, minimal and sort of uh, minimal approaches to things, your non-surgical 
rhinoplasty. I don't even know if I'm using the right term, but it's not a nose job. It's like injectables in the nose. Tell us about this and how it works and how you're able to achieve such drastic results without surgery. Yes, this is one of my favorite and most amazing procedures. Um, so non-surgical rhinoplasty is one of my favorite and most frequently performed uh, non-surgical procedures. And this is a procedure where I use injectable filler to change and sculpt the contour of the nose um, using non-surgical techniques. So um, basically, using injections alone, I treat filler as if it's a surgical cartilage graft. And um, I'm able to make a nose that has a bump or dorsal hump or bulbous tip or droopy nasal tip, hanging columella, notched nostrils, look refined, straighter, more lifted, um, or more symmetrical, or all of the above. And this has been one of the greatest joys of my career to work on refining this technique. Um, I have now done um, over 20,000 non-surgical rhinoplasties. So um, this has been something that I have spent a significant amount of time working on. Um, and I think it's a really amazing transformative technique. Um, non-surgical rhinoplasty can be used um, to help patients who have had prior surgical rhinoplasties, but also patients who have not ever had surgery or patients who choose to not have surgery. Mm -hmm. um, the, the procedure can last anywhere from months to years. It can be repeated over time, or it can be as, used as a bridge to surgery if someone is not sure that they want surgery and they wanna try it out. Um, the filler is fully dissolvable. So mm -hmm. if you kinda of wanna test it out, that's also an option. Oh, good to know. Okay, let's talk eyes, blepharoplasty, um, eye lifts. I mean, I don't know what specifically the term would be, but there's people who have like a ptosis or a, a drooping of the lid that want the lift. There's people who have the under eye parts. Talk about the procedures that can be done on the eye to sort of rejuvenate that area. So for the eyes, um, non-surgically, you can do um, suture suspension, which is the modern generation of thread lifting um, to um, create more of um, a lift or a cat eye look to the eyes. Um, you can do a Botox brow lift. You can do tear trough augmentation to smooth out hollowing in the under eye. And then surgically, which is kind of one of my micro specializations, you can do blepharoplasty, which is excision of excess hooded skin on the upper lid with or without ptosis repair for drooping or hooding. Um, and you can also do lower lid blepharoplasty to remove puffiness or mm -hmm. herniation of the fat pads or excess skin um, with hollowing. You can also do autologous fat grafting where you borrow some fat from the lower abdomen and you kind of sterilely prepare it and re-inject it in that area, almost like spreading melted butter on a bagel. And that gives you a really smooth, bright, rejuvenated look to the eye area. That's pretty amazing. I'm making a mental list of procedures that I will be seeing you for in the next few decades. <laughs> Let's talk about the lip lift next, Dr. Devgen, which is something that's been gaining a lot of attention on social media, certain influencers, bloggers, et cetera, talking about this procedure. Tell us what it is and the type of uh, sort of concern that it addresses. 
Yeah, so the lip lift is a really interesting procedure. So many people don't realize this, but as you age, the distance between the nose and the mouth increases. So the filtral distance or that distance between the nose and the mouth is at its ideal length on a female face when you're a teenager. And at that time on a female face, it's around 11 to 14 millimeters. And every decade of life after teenage years, it increases one to three millimeters. And that's kind of the etiology or etymology of the expression long in the tooth where you start when you start getting older you start having this longer filtral distance and it starts getting to the point where your upper lip length can start covering your teeth mm. and when the upper lip gets longer it's one of these subtle feelings that makes a face feel older. So if you look at your face when your lips are gently parted, you should be able to see a few millimeters of upper incisor or upper tooth show. And when you gently part your lips, if you can't see any teeth showing, then it typically is going to mean that your filtral distance or the distance between your nose and your mouth is too long. So if that distance is longer than 11 to 14 millimeters, then you may be a candidate for a lip lift. And a lip lift is a surgery where we remove a tiny cuff of tissue with the incision hidden underneath the nose or the nasal sill. And it's a very beautiful little elegant procedure where that tissue is excised and then in several tissue layers um, that excision is sutured or sewn up and we can restore and lift that contour and it kind of just creates a little elegant lifted youthful feeling of the lip and it's very subtle it's something that you can kind of barely notice but if you've seen people who look like kind of ducky or fishy in their lips or almost the feeling of a Marge Simpson lip. Mm -hmm. um, that is the feeling of the opposite of what a lip lift does. And that type of lip is a good candidate for a lip lift. Have you been seeing more um, requests for that procedure lately? Yes, I think a lot of people in the past decade have been overfilling their lips because they don't know what to do and they kind of feel like filler is the right answer when truly it's a lip lift that's the right answer. And so with greater awareness of this surgery, people mm -hmm. are kind of realizing that it's time to dissolve the filler and do the surgery. Yeah, I was going to ask that question too, like trends in plastic surgery that you've seen um, come and go, if there was one in particular that you look back on since you've started practicing, or even like you said earlier, as just an observer of, um, of trends, what, what didn't hit, what we're going to look back on even now and say, uh, not a good look. Oh gosh. I mean, I think the overfilled, um, buttocks that, um, Brazilian butt lift and autologous fat grafting to the buttocks, the extremely oversized buttocks, you know, of, of the prior decade, that is a trend that I think people are going to regret, not only because of the extremely high mortality rate. I mean, mm. that was, you know, that's one of the deadliest procedures in plastic surgery, just truly crazy. Um, not a procedure that I would ever perform or allow a personal family member of mine to undergo. Um, 
because it has such a high mortality rate. Um, but also the aesthetics of it are, are, are not aging well at all. There's a right. whole population of mostly young women who are going to have buttocktosis, meaning drooping of the buttocks, because all of that low density and low viscosity fat that has been overstuffed into the buttocks and hips, it's just going to get droopy. It's almost like, you know, perky breasts that look amazing when you're 18 years old, you know, what's going to happen when you're 40? You know, that's the same thing with perky breasts that are all made out of that low density fat. What, you know, what's going to happen to those that are going to get really droopy. Oh my, I never would have thought about that, but that makes total sense. Fat droops after it's a while. It's very unesthetic. And, you know, besides the fact that they're all of these mostly young women who have died. I had, how high, I mean, not that it should try to, I'm trying to convince anyone otherwise, but how high is the mortality rate relative to other procedures that makes it that especially uh, dangerous? Well, it has varied in the literature. And so it's a very controversial question to answer. When the mortality was first reported in the plastic surgery literature, it was reported as one in 3000 as the um, risk of death. Um, but now people have gone back and re-reported the mortality rate as much less than that. And so it, it remains unclear because there's not, a, there's not a clear way for us to capture what the numerator is and what the denominator is. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, I don't know um, what, I don't know how we can get the correct um, factual data um, about what the, what the best way to answer that question is. Um, and I think that right now the, the, the papers that are being published are self-reported numbers. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of a conflict of interest because the people who are doing the surgeries are the ones who are reporting the numbers. And so it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, but absolutely. It's so anyway, it's a very, it's, those are very high numbers for a death rate for an elective surgery. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, we're going to do a quick lightning round before we wrap things up. We okay. can go through these questions relatively quickly. Um, I know that, and and most of our listeners probably know too, you have a medical grade skin line, Dr. Lara, Lara Devgan, and it's at Sephora. It's on your own website. It's available to purchase through Instagram. Um, so the first question for the lightning round is the most necessary skincare product. If you're talking to a newbie who wants to start making the right decisions about a skincare routine, what would you start them on first? I would first start on our retinol bakuchiol serum. Okay. And tell us quickly what Bacuchiol is because I know what it is, but maybe other people listening don't. Bacuchiol is a plant-based antioxidant that chelates extremely well with retinol. And together, those two products are going to improve skin cell turnover. And that product is so amazing for resurfacing fine lines, reducing pore size, improving hyperpigmentation, and giving you an overall luster and glow to the skin. It's won basically every beauty award, and it compares favorably to even prescription strength retinol. So it's a really must-have amazing product. And it can even decrease your lifetime dose of Botox because it will improve your skin quality. 
Ooh, okay. I'm checking that out for sure. Uh, the next majorly popular trend you foresee happening in plastic surgery, what's the next big thing we'll be hearing about? Um, the next big trend we're going to be hearing about in plastic surgery is the return to minimalism and less is more with more tiny procedures rather than a focus on one big procedure. So facial optimization. Love it. Physical or chemical sunscreens and why? Physical sunscreens are preferable, but anything is better than nothing. And the reason is that zinc and titanium or physical blockers are going to give you a little extra opacity against UVA and UVB protection for the sun. Perfect. And what is the best way to truly slow aging? Well, you want to keep your telomeres long, but um, more specifically, I think a healthy lifestyle, uh, a little bit of sleep, good diet, exercise, finding true love, spending time with the ones who love you, finding your true calling, being good to other people, maybe doing a little good in the world. Um, specific to plastic surgery and medical aesthetics, I think you want to try to avoid sun exposure, stay hydrated, reduce caffeine, reduce alcohol, reduce smoking. Uh, try to not sleep on your face and get positional wrinkles and maybe a little medical grade skincare. Some injectables wouldn't hurt you and smile and be happy. I love it. A smile does always make everyone immediately look more beautiful. What is one beauty trend? This could be a makeup trend, a skincare trend, a plastic surgery trend that you were happy to see go away that's already in the past. I think overfilled and overpuffed faces. I am super happy to see the exaggerated, overstuffed lips and overpuffed cheeks go away. Good. Yes, me too. Um, two more here. Uh, threads. We've they've gotten bad press. Yay or nay? I think the old generation of thread lips, which were superficial and fraught with complications were awful and I was not a fan of them. But the newer generation of suture suspensions, which can each support over two and a half pounds of pressure and can be placed in the deep plane of the face for an elegant lift, when done skillfully in the plane where I do a facelift, can actually provide an intermediate step between fillers and surgery and can be a powerful adjunctive technique in the right hands for the right patient. But just like everything in plastic surgery, there's a continuum. So you really have to use them responsibly and it's not a one size fits all technique. Mm -hmm. And what's your favorite laser? I'm curious to know this. So, you know, lasers, again, are not one size fits all, but I think an erbium laser resurfacing is, you know, my desert island laser. If I had to only live with one, that's the one I would use because it's really like a control all delete for your skin. You can get a lot from it. And so that's the one I'd pick. Is that, is there a lot of downtime on that one? You can choose how much downtime you're going to have based on how you modulate energy settings. Mm -hmm. So um, that gives you a lot of flexibility. Okay. Awesome. Dr. Devgan, I'm so grateful you gave me time on the end of a really busy day. So thank you so much for talking with us today. Um, all of your social handles I'm going to be linking, but feel free to tell us where we can follow, where we can find out what big projects you're working on next. And of course, where we can check out the skincare line as well. 
Well, you are so awesome to have me. This has been so fun and amazing. Um, you can follow me and find me at Lara Devgan MD on Instagram and TikTok. And my skincare line is at Dr. Lara Devgan on Instagram and TikTok also. Love it. Running to buy the Bakuchiol serum as we speak, as soon as we hang up. Um, Dr. Devgan, thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of We Gotta Talk. If you don't mind, I would love if you could leave a rating and review. Those help this show to get out to people who might find it useful or entertaining. I'm so grateful for your support. Please follow on Instagram at Sunny Abada or check out our latest blog post at wegotatalk.com slash blog. See you next time. Yeah.